Good morning. It's Friday, September 15th. I'm Shamita Basu. This is Apple News Today. On today's show, the women's rights movement in Iran, one year after Massa Amini's death. Why so many schools are rethinking the way they teach kids to read. And the dude in charge of cleaning up after a particularly messy Burning Man. But first, let's take a quick look at some major stories in the news. There's no deal between the big three U.S. automakers and the union, so a strike is now underway. United Auto Workers President Sean Fain says the company's offers aren't good enough. For the first time in our history, we will strike all three of the big three at once. Not all of the union's workers are on strike. To start, it's just over 12,000 people at three sites in Michigan, Ohio, and Missouri. But the union says it's ready to expand to more plants in the days ahead. Automakers say they've made strong proposals and are disappointed that the union is striking. Turning to Libya and the deadly flooding there, there are growing questions about why there weren't better warnings given. Patari Tellis, head of the World Meteorological Organization, says the lack of a fully equipped weather service meant the government was unable to send proper evacuation alerts. In a normally operating meteorological service, uh, they could have issued the warnings and, uh, and, and also the emergency management authorities would have been able to carry out evacuation of the, of the people and we could have lost, uh, avoided most of the human, human casualties. Tellis says efforts to upgrade technology have been blocked by years of conflict and government dysfunction in Libya. Hunter Biden, son of President Joe Biden, now faces felony charges, indicted for allegedly making false statements and illegally possessing a gun. This comes after a plea deal collapsed in July. Hunter Biden could also face tax charges. His lawyer tells The Washington Post that the new indictment is a case of the prosecutor, quote, bending to political pressure. And in New England and Canada, people are bracing for Hurricane Lee, which could make landfall somewhere along the border between Maine and Canada over the weekend. Dangerous wind and storm surge are possible in places that have already seen heavy rainfall during the summer. Iranians have not forgotten Massa Amini, the 22-year-old woman who died in police custody one year ago tomorrow. She was detained for allegedly breaking Iran's dress code, and her death sparked a new wave of mass protests in a long-standing fight for women's rights. Woman, life, freedom was the rallying cry at demonstrations across the country. Many women stopped wearing the hijab in public. The Iranian regime cracked down hard. Human rights groups estimate that hundreds of protesters were killed. We spoke with Washington Post reporter Miriam Berger about the situation there now. Repression is back in full force. A lot of the unpopular policies that people took to the streets in the beginning to protest against, such as mandatory veiling, is back being enforced, and even more so now. There's a lot of cameras everywhere. There's a new bill that's being discussed in Parliament that would have even more restrictions. At the same time, the regime cannot control Iranians like they could before. And part of why they have to resort to all of this repression is because more and more people in everyday small ways are continuing to demonstrate. 
Larger protests are expected tomorrow on the one-year mark of Amini's death. Security forces have been arresting activists and warning against protesting. Berger says many Iranians told her they are worried about speaking out. There's about 20,000 Iranians who are out on furlough, and the judiciary has said that if any of them are caught protesting that they'll get harsher punishments. They basically have them where they can sort of catch and release them now all the time. But, she says, many activists are still making their voices heard, even knowing the risks. We continue to see people talking about what kind of world they want to live in and demanding their rights and doing this as Iranians and about what they want for their country. And that's extremely powerful. For decades now, educators in America have not managed to agree on a pretty fundamental thing, how to teach kids to read. There are lots of different schools of thought, but there are two popular approaches being talked about today. One emphasizes phonics, that is, teaching kids to sound out letters and words. The other is teach kids to look for context clues, get them excited about reading, and the more granular reading skills will come with time. On this week's episode of Apple News in Conversation, we get into what some educators call the reading wars, the debate over how we teach kids to read in America, and why many states right now are making big shifts toward phonics-based learning. I talked to Karen D'Souza, a reporter for EdSource, about what the latest research tells us about how learning happens. There actually is a different part of the brain that interprets the auditory and a different part of the brain that interprets the visual. And you need to make those connections. They're not hardwired naturally. Um, You can't just expose children to it and assume that they will pick it up. D'Souza says the pandemic made America's existing childhood literacy problem even worse. So our classrooms need to catch up to the science and fast. Not enough kids are learning how to be adept readers, and that's going to be a a stumbling block for a functioning democracy. I mean, how are you going to vote? How are you going to fill out a job application? Really, like, what, what futures are open to you if you can't read well? States that have already made changes are seeing results. Mississippi has made tremendous strides in terms of, you know, the kind of teacher training that people get and the sort of curriculum in the classroom. Mississippi went from having like the worst scores in the nation to making more progress than anyone. And now people call it the Mississippi miracle. I think sometimes when you you have like teachers or parents or educators who are married to the way things used to be, the most compelling argument is just the proof, right? Like, well, these kids who couldn't read, now they can read. So a lot of people are are persuaded that way. To hear my full conversation with Karen D'Souza about how educators, parents, and lawmakers are trying to fix this problem and make sure kids really do learn how to read, listen to this week's episode of In Conversation. If you're listening right now in the Apple News app, just stick around. We've queued it up to play for you after this show. Remember how chaotic the Burning Man Festival was earlier this summer? Torrential rain turned the Black Rock Desert in Nevada into a soupy, muddy mess. Tens of thousands of people and all of their stuff were stuck. And when it was finally safe to leave, the exit was pretty messy. And not everybody followed the usual rules to leave no trace. You know, take all of their trash with them. 
GQ profiles the guy who is leading the massive post-Burning Man cleanup effort. Every year, organizers get about a month from the end of the festival to make it look like humans were never there. When they're done, they have to pass an inspection by the Bureau of Land Management. Dominic Tinio, a.k.a. Dark Angel, is the environmental restoration manager for Burning Man. He's been cleaning up after the festival for more than 20 years. And he sounds surprisingly chill about getting the job done, even though he and his team have 157 million square feet worth of desert to cover. The process is pretty low-tech. Basically, around 200 people sweep the desert, section by section, picking up trash and debris with brooms, rakes, shovels, and magnets. It can be a grubby job, but Tinio says the team takes a lot of pride in their work. He says his favorite moment is when the last pieces of garbage are packed up and it gets quiet enough to only hear the wind. And then, he says, it's time to leave and let the desert do its thing. You can find all these stories and more in the Apple News app. And as I mentioned, if you're already listening in the News app, stick around to hear this week's In Conversation episode about how we teach kids to read. Have a great weekend, and I'll be back with the news on Monday. Monday.